Turn your hymnals to number 292. I was impressed with those words as well, thinking almost the exact same thoughts John was. And I would encourage you to turn back there just so we can make note of that. Look at verse 3. Cure thy children's warring madness. Bend our pride to thy control. Shame our wanton selfish gladness, rich in things and poor in soul. That's not a true statement. I don't know what is. Especially in the culture of America these days. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, lest we miss thy kingdom's goal. Isn't that what we should be focusing on is the kingdom of Christ and building that up? Great, great hymn of the faith there. I don't think I've ever seen those words quite in that way. I'm preaching again out of Psalm 119. We only have three more sections and I was looking at the calendar and we won't be done till 2014. So I think this has been an almost three-year series. 119 is beginning in 145. We're going to be specific, uh, specifically talking about prayer this morning. And as I said during the offertory, we want to be a prayer-saturated church. And this is a, uh, this is a, uh, a topic. Prayer is certainly a topic. Uh, it's very clear here in this passage that we'll be studying this morning that there is a specific method of prayer that we're going to be speaking on, which is crying out, specifically crying out to God. And this is a difficult uh, thing to comprehend in America these days. I want to give three difficulties of why this is going to be difficult for us to look at this morning. Number one, it's difficult to read this passage and going after cry out, crying out to God in this society because uh, this is... Uh, we, we, men have been silenced in America. Well, you say, well, no, you're a man, you're speaking, you haven't been silenced. Yeah, we've been silenced. Men have been silenced in America, and it's, it's been quite a bit of time since we've actually spoken out. Think about it. If you're a man and you speak with authority on something, and you speak boldly, and you raise your voice just a little bit for, to impress upon your hearers of what you're speaking about, you're oftentimes in this society viewed as uh, brash, maybe rude, obnoxious, ill-mannered. And so in, in, in today's world, you can't even really raise your voice. It's bled into the church. Do you notice that few men sing in the church? I watch you. Few men really sing. It's not a singing culture. If you go over to Scotland, men sing there. That's their culture. You go into a pub and you sing. You go to a soccer stadium and you sing. And in America, we don't sing. Men don't. So the, we've, we've been silenced in many different ways. So this, this topic of actually audibly crying out to God is something that's difficult to understand in this society. Because it's, it's, it's noted as, as rude to simply raise your voice unless... Unless you were one of the millions yesterday who went and paid your 10 to $50 and sat in a stadium with 70,000 other people that you have no clue who they are. And you all cheered as one voice as you cheered on this man in tight leotards running around on a field holding a pig. And as Vody Bakum says, these men lost their ever-loving mind over these men that they don't know. That's natural to us, to scream and yell. And then we go, now we're going to go to church and cry out to God. No, can't do that. That's, that's rude. See, there's a, there's a difficulty in our culture about this. 
Number two, difficulty in the society due to the fast-paced information intake for the purpose of entertainment. It's difficult for people to pray anymore because you actually have to take time to do this. And you actually have to have a relationship and a conversation. And you have to think. And in the culture we are in today, you pull out your iPhone and just quick, fast-paced information, give it to me now. I'm not really interested in absorbing it. I just need to know this information so I can turn and spit it out. And there's no relationship. It's just a fast-paced information society for the purpose of entertainment. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is difficult in this society because Christianity is too easy. The biblical Christianity is not easy. We know this. But the American culture of Christianity is supremely easy. You can go to church and you look like a Christian. And you don't have to do too much else. You can do everything else the world does and you're fine. But the biblical version of Christianity wouldn't be very easy in the American society. Few are living it. So prayer isn't difficult because prayer, prayer is difficult because it's not needed. If you were under persecution, if you had enemies, if people didn't like you, if your life was in danger, you would be praying. And this is why there's been many revivals that have happened and shifts in entire nations throughout the history of the world because oftentimes those were nations and societies that were under severe oppression. That's normally when the church thrives. So I I simply want to point those things out uh, just to encourage you as we would talk about something that's going to sound to you as culturally unacceptable to examine your response to what we're talking about. This is scripture. It It is a type of prayer, this crying out that God has designed and he delights in it. And irregardless of the cultural misperceptions or perceptions on the way we would do this, this is something the Lord delights in and he would certainly uh, desire for us to do it. And I would encourage you as you respond to this message to allow that response, as you view that response, to point out where your loyalties lying. Ooh, this is something I don't think I could do because that would seem a little awkward. Well, then step back and ask yourself, who are my loyalties with? This has seemed very clear in Scripture. Is it over here or is it with the Lord? Your attitude toward prayer is one of the great barometers a person can use in their life to measure the depth of their walk with the Lord. How's your prayer life? And that's probably a pretty good indicator of how your walk with the Lord is. Charles Spurgeon said, He who has been with God in the closet will find God with him in the furnace. And we see at times when people go through a furnace, they wonder, Christians wonder, why? What happened to God? Where did he go in this situation? Well, it's probably because they haven't been spending much time in the closet in private prayer with him. And so they can't find him when they want him. Spurgeon, he has been with God in the closet, will find God with him in the furnace. No need to follow me through these verses, but I'm going to read four or five verses here from Scripture just showing this crying out. We're going to begin at the one night, Psalm 119, 145. There's this entire section here, these eight verses, is on crying out to God. So I'm going to read that and then I'm going to uh, go read a few other psalms just to show that this is not isolated here in Psalm 119. With my whole heart I cry, and we'll get into some of the Hebrew here in a minute, but most of these words in here that would be cry or call would be the exact same word in the Hebrew. 
I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call, there's this much the same word to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help, I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. And it continues on, 149, hear my voice, there's a crying out according to your steadfast love. And continuing on there in the rest of the section on how it is working out. Now, th- let me just make note, when I'm, w- this is not just typical prayer. And this is not a typical speaking voice. Like I'm speaking to you or you would have a conversation with an individual. Or you would pray around the table with your family. That's not the type of prayer we're talking about. Because if you go to the meaning of these words, there are words in the Bible that are translated in the Hebrew or Greek that basically have a conversation with an individual. It's that type of tone and it's that type of volume. These words emphasize a great amount of volume. And we'll talk a little bit more in a minute here about uh, the way these things would sound. But they have much more volume to them and they literally are a crying out. In fact, if you translate these, and I'll show you here in a minute, in the Greek, it actually has a... uh, a picture, they actually would give you a picture of a raven. It was, was, is how the New Testament would, would um, translate it. It's almost as a raven crying out. It's almost this animalistic type of crying out. There is a volume to it. There's this loud proclamation here of something that is deep within your heart. Let me give a few other scriptures. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Jeremiah 33.3 Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. These are all the same type of calling out. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Psalm 34.17 Psalm 56.9 When I cry unto thee then shall my enemies turn back for this I know for God is for me. I want to break down this section into uh, a section of verses into, into four categories. And we're going to look at the proper attitude for crying out to God. We're going to look at how to cry out to God. We're going to look at what to cry out for. And we're going to look at the blessings of crying out to God. So let's begin by looking at the proper attitude for crying out to God. And we see right off the bat in verse 145 a hint as to the proper attitude we should bring to this type of prayer. With my whole heart I cry. This, you should be wholly involved in this. This is not something of, hey, I really want this. And if I'm just going to do this because maybe this will get me what I want. And so I'm just going to cry out to God. No, this is a, not just a, a wholehearted physical cry. This is a spiritual cry. And you could say, well... Why do you have to do it out loud? Didn't the the publican and the Pharisee have some of that going on? Where the publican was crying out loud and the Pharisee uh, was was not. And there was this whole situation that was going on there. And why do you have to do this out loud? Can't you do it in quiet? It talks about in Matthew 6 where to do these things in quiet. And that would be a time of uh, quiet prayer, certainly. But this would also be in your private prayer 
can be crying out to the Lord, but it is something that is, comes from within your heart. Your whole heart you're crying out. This is a desire of your heart. Therefore, your heart has to be holy after the Lord. You would have to remove distractions and sin. We know this according to Psalm 66, 18. If I have harbored, if I've cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. The Lord would not have listened. So there's no way to approach crying out to God if your heart is, is in sin. And certainly our hearts are always to some extent or another in sin, but we're talking about habitual sin. So you would be needing to remove any distractions and sin to do this wholeheartedly. So this isn't the type of thing that you're going to probably do just in the middle of your dining room. This is probably something up on a mountain in your private prayer closet. This would be something where you're able to remove all the distractions and really focus in on the Lord. Certainly there's time for that in the middle of the house. But this is, would be a, a special time then. Verse 145, we see the whole heart and this crying out, David crying out. And that would take us then to Jeremiah 17.9, which talks about the depth of one's heart man cannot know. Only God can know the heart. But you can know your heart. Maybe not to its fullest depravity, but you can know your heart to an extent. So I think the practical application in this question about having a wholehearted, a wholehearted attitude toward God to be able to properly cry out, you'd have to ask yourself is, what is the state of your whole heart within your ability to do so? How's your heart? How's the wholeness of your heart as much as you can understand and comprehend So the proper attitude for crying out to God, we have to have a whole heart. We have to do this wholly. It's not just a little piece of us. It's an entire package. We have to do this humbly, be the number two, humbly. Psalm 9, 12, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Psalm 10, 17 through 18, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Turn with me to Job 35. Job chapter 35. Look with me at verse 12 and 13. This is Elihu condemning Job. This is what he says. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out. But he, meaning God, does not answer. Because of the pride of evil men. If we have pride in our heart. We're not able to cry out. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. Now, we certainly know He hears us, but this is talking about a response to our crying out. You must be humble. You must be wholehearted before you're able to have the proper attitude for crying out. And the last one that we see in Psalm 119 
You must be resolved to do the will of God regardless of the outcome. This would go along with humility. But if you're going to cry out to the Lord, a proper attitude would be the same as Job had in Job 121. The Lord gives and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you see this in verse 145. The psalmist is saying, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, exclamation mark, end of sentence. And then he has a statement. I will keep your statutes. There's this proclamation of here of, Lord, I'm, I'm laying this before you. I'm crying out before you, irregardless of what you do, whether it's my desire, it's, it fulfills my desire or not. I'm going to trust that your way is perfect and I'm going to do your ways, regardless of the outcome. And we would say, amen, of course. But this is, this is clearly seen when an individual is praying wholeheartedly for something. And they don't get what they're praying for. And the way they respond is either twofold. Either one, they go, oh, this is tough. This is difficult. I'm going to run to the Lord and be more like him and seek him more wholeheartedly. And I, he's exposed some things to my heart that I've seen. Or two, they go, well, if God's not going to answer this, and this is really the cry of my heart, I'm just going to take the plunge. I'm going to indulge my flesh a little bit and just dive over the edge. And it happens quite a bit. So if we're going to have a proper attitude in crying out to God, we've got to understand we've got to be wholly involved, entire being, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. We've got to be humble. And number three, we must be resolved to do the will of the Lord regardless of the outcome. Are you willing to keep his statutes? even if you don't get the answer, specific answer to prayer you're looking for? Do you believe enough that God's word is true regardless of the outcome of your prayer? That would be the proper attitude for crying out to God. Let's go to the next section would be how to cry out to God. And I'm, I'm taking these words cry and call and if you look them up in the Hebrew, which I would encourage you to do, I can give, there's many definitions, but these would be some of them, at least two of them that I'm going to give. Number one is, this is, as I said before, this is an audible cry. This is something that comes out of your mouth. This isn't something you're thinking or you're really focusing on your prayer and you're really, your spirit is really, is really longing for the Lord to answer the prayer. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's another type of prayer. This is an actual audible cry, crying out to the Lord. And it's, it's a loud cry which we'll see here in a minute, of some of the people that cried out to the Lord. But this is a loud crying out. And it, it's, it's done, obviously, with your lips. But you, it can't be done with your lips. If you want to do it right, you can't do it with your lips until you do it with your heart, which is why the psalmist says, with my whole heart, I cry. And that word cry, as we we're saying, is an audible crying out. And this can also be translated as audibly calling out with the name of God. So that's one of the important reasons of knowing the names of God. It's because you're able to call out to God using his name. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, etc. That would be the first one is how to cry out to God. It must be an audible crying out. This specific way of crying out to God would be an audible crying out. It would be loud. Another way you could do it would be to read aloud the scriptures. Go with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Nehemiah 8, verse 8. 
You see in verse 7, the different men, the different Levites there, helping the people to understand the law. In verse 8, which, which is where we're looking at, Nehemiah 8, 8, they read from the book. This word read can be translated, it has the same um, meanings as this word call, specifically here. They read, they called out from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense, or they gave the understanding so that the people understood the reading. So in your time of crying out to the Lord, and we'll talk in a minute about what you could be crying out for, but in your time of crying out to the Lord, this would be one method. You are taking up the scriptures and you're reading aloud the promises of scripture and you're asking God, fulfill these. This is the cry of my heart and this is my audible cry and you're reading scripture. You can read scripture to cry out to God. In Psalm 119, back in verse 147, you see another way that the psalmist does this. In verse 147 and 148, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. So you would audibly call out. You could use the word of God to call out. And the way the psalmist suggests doing it is you do it early and you can do it late. But he's doing it whenever he gets an opportunity. So he's rising very early to cry out to the Lord. And there's significance to that, obviously. He's feeling, he finds that most important. He finds his time with the Lord more important than anything else. More important than sleep. Now, sleep is needed. Why? Because we're finite. And God is infinite. And he never slumbers nor sleeps. And we sleep... Because he's given us, he's given to his beloved sleep, and that reminds us that he never slumbers nor sleep. But even more important than your sleep is getting your heart before the Lord. And he does this. He rises very early and he cries for help. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Now, that doesn't mean he's staying up late. Because it talks about in Proverbs a man who rises early and goes to bed late, that's not wise. What he's talking about here is the man he goes to bed. And after a period of time of rest, we all probably have this, you know, in the middle of the night, you kind of stir and maybe you roll over, you wake up a little bit, get a drink of water, whatever it is, you wake up a little bit after a couple hours of sleep. That's what he's talking about. After a period of rest, he rises to cry out to the Lord. In, um, in, our, in our family lineage, our Chandler's family lineage, Lucy and Mr. Welch's, they go back to John Welch. And this is one of the evidences of why this culture can't pray very well. Is He would pray very normally, and he had many children, but he would pray very normally for eight hours a day. And we say, eight hours a day? Where did he find the time? Well, let's think about it. If you had a six or seven hour rest, you could have another eight or nine hours of work, and you still have eight hours of sleep. And you go, well, what have I been doing with all my time? Where does it go? Well, this man, he would wake up at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, 1 a.m. in the morning, and he'd just pray because he found rest. Uh, he found rest physically and spiritually in seeking the Lord. God never slumbers nor sleeps. In Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, oftentimes we wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I just need 30 more minutes. And you turn over. And if we study science, we all know that 30 minutes makes no difference anymore, not according to your sleep cycles. It's really not going to help you any. 
But, oh, I just need my 30 more minutes and we roll over. Oh, man, I'm so tired. I know I should get up and read the word and pray, but I just need these 30 more minutes. The fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool, you know, he turns, as a door turns upon his hinges, Proverbs says, the, the fool turns upon his bed. Let's not play the fool and feel like we can put our trust and our rest more than we can in the word of God and in prayer. How to cry out to God. You would cry out audibly. You'd cry out with the word. You would do it early. You would do it late. This is more important than anything else in the heart of the individual who is desiring to have an audience with the Lord over an important matter. What to cry out for. What to cry out for. I'm going to give three examples from Scripture of different things that could be cried out for. And I'm going to use the Greek or the Hebrew word. And let's start in verse in, in Luke 18. Luke 18. Go with me there. Luke 18, and we're going to begin in verse 38. See the word cried or cry out? That uh, Greek word is boeo. B-O-A-O. And it means to employ, to implore with a strong voice. So there's a calling out with a very strong voice here. And it's specifically for healing. Let's look at verse eight, uh, 38. Luke 18, verse 38 through 42. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is passing by. Here's the blind man sitting along uh, near Jericho. And he cried out, he implored with a strong voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be more silent. But he cried out all the more. And if you look at the Greek, there's actually another word for this. And it basically means more intense than boeo. Slightly more. Uh, more Volume to his tone. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, Did Christ not hear the first cry out. Well, physically, he may not have. It might have been a busy crowd. But he's not only fully God, he's not only fully man, he's also fully God. So he knew this man was crying out. And the Lord often does this. He will test our resolve. He'll test to see how much are you really interested and getting an audience with me. And really having me hear the plea of your heart. Obviously we know he, all, he knows all things. He knows before we even pray. But oftentimes he tests us. And this man responded well to the test. And went even further. Employing him more with a strong voice for healing. So what to cry out for? You could cry out for healing. And there's certainly much, uh, many people that need healing. Many of y'all have probably been following Joseph Underwood's story there online. That young man needs healing. We could cry out to him, cry out to God for healing for that young man. Here's another one, Psalm 145. Go with me over there. Sha'ava, which would be Hebrew. S-H-A-V-A-H, Sha'avah, Hebrew, would be a cry for help. 
You need help? Crying out to God would be the proper way of doing it. And we see this in the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah did this. Remember, the, his city was surrounded and getting ready to take over, and he cried out to the Lord. This is the same type of crying out that he'd use. This is the same word, a cry for help. Psalm 145, verse 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. And we saw in 119, the prayer here that this man has, the psalmist has, is a very simple prayer. I call to you, save me. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for help. He's asking for salvation. So there's this help type of crying out. Do you need help? Yes, we all need help. It could be with family matters. It could be relational matters. It could be financial matters. Whatever it is, this would be something to cry out for, to cry out for help. Matthew 14, go with me over there. Matthew 14, verse 30. This is Jesus walking on the water. And the Hebrew, the Greek word for this would be krazo, K-R-A-Z-O, krazo, K-R-A-Z-O, and this would be to cry out. So boeo was to be to implore with a strong voice, Shaava was a cry for help, and krazo is to cry out for salvation. And you see this in Matthew 14, 30 through 31. The Lord calls him out of the boat. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out. This would be the crazo, crying out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If you do not know the Lord, Jesus Christ is your Savior today, this is the cry that you should have. Lord, save me. It's not just a physical salvation. There's certainly a spiritual implication as well. So those would be some things to cry out for. Now, there are many other things. And you can certainly see many other examples in Scripture of crying out to God for other things. But here would be, I think, three pretty strong ones. Healing, help, and salvation. Let's look at the blessings of crying out. Go back to Psalm 119 with me. The blessings that come when we cry out to God. The first one, which I think would encapsulate the entire section, eight, eight verses here in this section, would be uh, one of the real blessings, I think, is you're really living life. Real living is achieved when, you are in the, when you're in the habit of crying out to God. And why would I say that? Well, it's because you have to have a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. You have a life that is lived not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So you see that in 147 and 148. You're, more, you're, less in, you're less inclined to do what your flesh wants you to do. You're, you're just desiring to be in conversation with the Lord and to take your plea before Him. You're rising before dawn. Your eyes are awake before the watches. You understand 
that life comes only from the Lord. In verse 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. You're really living life if you're in the habit of crying out to the Lord. Because you can't do this in its proper form unless you are in right relationship with the Lord. The second blessing I would have listed would be in 150 and 151 of Psalm 119. And that would be, you get the blessing of understanding the presence of God as contrasted by the presence of falsehood. You see this, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose, but they are far from your law. Contrasting with 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Notice that the wicked, the evil, the difficulties, the hardships are drawing near. They're coming in, whereas Christ, God, our Father, 151, He is always near. You are near as compared to you draw near. And look at the opposite. You, he, who persecute me with evil purpose, that, so they are far from your law. They're coming in, but they're far from truth. Whereas in 151, God is always near and his commandments are always true. The blessing of crying out to the Lord is you're going to understand more of the true value of God's word as compared to the falsehood that is being proclaimed by those who would seem want to overcome us as believers. The third one I have in closing here would be in 152. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. And Matthew Henry and Charles Spurgeon talk about, uh, I believe it's Charles Spurgeon actually, that talks about 152. This is probably a pretty good indication that Psalm 119, the psalmist wrote this when he was not a young man. He was deeper into his life. And he had a track record he could look back on and see the testimonies that God had fulfilled, the promises that God had fulfilled. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. You would be, one of the blessings is you'd be better equipped to see God's promises fulfilled when you're crying out to God. Because when you're praying and then you see God answer prayer, it strengthens your faith. And young people, the more you can do that now, you may not have, you don't have the track record built up, but every year we do that, we get a better and longer track record of being able to see God answer prayer. And that strengthens our faith. Spurgeon says this, Let those who choose follow at the heels of the modern school and look for fresh light to break forth, which will put the old light out of countenance. So there are many who are going to look for fresh revelations rather than trusting in the long-known testimonies that have been founded forever. He continues, We are satisfied with the truth which is old as the hills and as fixed as the great mountains. Let, quote-unquote, cultured intellects, cultured intellects, invent another God more gentle and effeminate than the God of Abraham. We are well content to worship Jehovah, who is eternally the same. Things everlastingly established are the joy of established saints. Think about that. Things everlastingly established are the joy of established saints. Bubbles please boys, but men prize those things which are solid and substantial, with a foundation and a bottom to them, which will bear the test of ages. And in the culture of America, we're constantly looking for the delightful sparkly bubbles that flow past. And we're going to try to grab at them and get this ecstasy. We're going to get this great, wonderful, emotional feeling about God. Whereas those that are well-grounded, 
that are interested as real men, real biblical men, and things that are solid and substantial, you're going to go to Scripture. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So we've looked at the proper attitude for crying out to God. We've looked at how to cry out to God. We've looked to cry out for, or what to cry out for, and we've looked at the blessings of crying out. And just in closing, I want to exhort you that we, we need saints who are really interested in prayer. And really interested in this crying out. And I've done this. And it re- feels really odd. And I've done it in my pillow. Where I've just cried out to God in my pillow. And I've done it out in creation. And it feels kind of looking around and wondering, you know, this seems really odd. But this is, uh, if, you, if you have a heart that is really seeking the Lord on a specific matter in your life, I would encourage you. Get your heart right. Get humble. Realize that regardless of the outcome of the crying out you're going to do God's will but I would encourage you this is something God's given us to delight in and it seems like we shouldn't do this because nobody does this but this is something straight from scripture and we need to view it as such we have certainly many things we can cry out to I mentioned Joseph Underwood we need to cry out for revival in this land we need to cry out for young people that will stay the course of biblical Christianity we need to cry out for the purity of the church for salvation of friends and family. And there have been many throughout history that have done great things for God because they had a team behind them of crying out. And one of those would be William Carey. William Carey was one of the first uh, big missionaries and he went to India. And he had a gift of languages and he translated the Bible into 37 different dialects in the Indian tongue. And he labored there for years and years. For 52 years, in fact. But what few people know is that he had a sister, Polly, who was almost a quadriplegic back at home, who for 52 years lifted up her brother in prayer, crying out to him. Because he would write her letters saying, man, this dialect's really hard, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to translate this, and here's this problem. And she would take it to the Lord in prayer. Few people know that he was bolstered by a prayer team, even if it was just one, I'm sure there were others, that were crying out to the Lord for prayer. So if you're not, you've not been called by God to do something great and mighty in the world's eyes for Christ, obviously that's a misconception. You can pray, and we need men and women that are, will be strong prayer warriors in private prayer and corporate prayer and using all the methods of prayer that God's given us, thanksgiving and praise, and this would be one of them, to crying out to God, audibly crying out to God for His salvation, for His help, for his healing, for whatever matter lies in the path of walking out this life for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your word that is true, that your testimonies are forever. They're everlasting. And they will always be proven true. Father, we thank you for the instruction given from your word on crying out. And Lord, I pray that there would be someone here today that would see the scriptures for what they are, the truth, the admonition from you, the King Eternal, that this method of prayer is a profitable one and should be used. Lord, we don't want to pluck out from scripture just that which fits into our own paradigm of what we believe would be acceptable. But we want to see all of Scripture as inspired. We want to see all of Scripture as 
pertainable to our life, applicable to our life. Our life today in 2013, as much as it was applicable to those when it was written. Father, I thank you for the grace that you will give us. I thank you for answered prayer. And Father, we do want to lift up to you Joseph Underwood. And I want to lift up to you him and in the presence of a corporate and corporate prayer here as a congregation, Lord, that you would heal this young man of, le, of leukemia. Father, that if it is not your will, we will bless you, but I would ask and pray that it would be your will if you would see fit to save him for your glory, defy the medical field, Father, as you've done many times before. Pray that you would strengthen Kate and Ed. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet testimony they already have of seeing your grace and mercy and peace in this tough situation. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you in prayer. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.